This is Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. I'm Dane Sanders. Why is it that work is so often viewed as something you do before you go home to your life? Even the idea of work-life balance seems to put work at odds with living life well. Kirsten Moorfield, co-founder of Cloverleaf.me, and our guest today, believes it doesn't have to be this way. After countless hours with hundreds of teams from startups to Fortune 100s, she believes they've discovered a clear pattern behind the happiest and most effective people you know. And I couldn't agree more. We've applied the principles behind Cloverleaf as well as the tool itself with our clients that tell me your dreams and have been blown away by the discoveries. If you're interested in harnessing that pattern for yourself and those you lead, you're going to love today's conversation. Kirsten Moorfield, welcome to Converge. Thank you so much, Dane. I'm honored to be here. Here's a question I, I want to start with. What do you want? And, and, and how awful a question is that? What do you want? Like, but what do you want in particular? What are you trying to do when it comes to work? We'll start theoretical, philosophical. I believe that we are made to work and that it is fulfilling and satisfying. When you figure out the type of work that you're uniquely wired for, you are energized, you're creating great value, you're proud of what you get to do. And as you build an understanding of those things about yourself, you also recognize like what are not your strengths, what you're not wired to do. And then you start to appreciate those things in other people. So things that used to cause conflict actually spark really productive collaboration, creativity together and stronger and better relationships. So that's what I'm trying to do in the workplace is help people get that understanding of themselves. Like how am I wired and what am I good at? What am I not good at? And that's not threatening that that's actually exciting opportunities and then from there how do i best collaborate with the unique individuals that are put around me practically what does that look like it looks really different for a lot of people like i don't actually believe that most people have that one thing they're made to do and if they could only figure out is it a police officer a lawyer an entrepreneur a manager then they would finally have found the all being goodness of their life i don't believe that i think really in most situations that you find yourself in you can work out a way to play to your strengths and to turn something that was draining into something that's energizing And that starts with self-awareness and an acceptance of your strengths and of your weaknesses. So practically what that can look like is, well, first, I mean, taking assessments is a really helpful first step. (laughs) Well, yeah, well, let's go there. So so Cloverleaf, the company that you co-founded out of Cincinnati, the great undervalued city of Cincinnati, which I love so much. Talk a little bit about what it is doing for the world. What I just told you, I believe about the workplace. We have a technology company founded by Darren and I a couple of years ago, my co-founder and I, what it does is we've partnered with assessment companies. So you can start to understand those things about yourself. And we then push. So things like Myers-Briggs, StrengthsFinder, Enneagram, all of them. Got it. DISC, all of it. Just the ones that businesses are already using. We're not creating new things. We're just partnering with where people already have to have taken a lot of these assessments anyway. And then we push what we call digital coaching nudges into the flow of work. So right in your Slack, your Microsoft Teams, your calendar, your email, we push like two, three sentence coaching tips to people about, hey, you're really good at this. Try this. Or, oh, hey, you're about to meet with Dane. Don't try to persuade him like this. Try to persuade him like that. You know, those types of tips about yourself and the people around you. That's really to help you build 
that awareness. I don't, I don't believe that you can have like a one-time epiphany that changes your career. It really is scientifically proven to be like small drips over time that create meaningful epiphanies that then help you to realize this is why I hate this meeting. We're just talking about so many minor details and details make me so tired. But that's okay because I can accept that about myself and I can learn that as I grow my career, these are certain things I can delegate and these other things that I'm really good at, I can seek more opportunities in those other things. So what are the, you said nudges. I love that. Digital coaching nudges. What does that practically look like? So am I getting email? I actually know the answer to this question because I'm a customer, yeah. but I, I, I'd love for folks at home to hear like some of the ways in which they're getting those nudges. You mentioned that they can get onto platforms and so on, but- I wake up on a Monday morning, I have a slate full of meetings looking at my week and my calendar. How are you getting your nudges into my life? The goal here is really like, we're all busy. Nobody wants another platform to log into. We just want valuable, life-changing insight to come to us where we already have to be. However, if you do want another platform to log into, if this sparks your interest, we have tools specifically for managers where you can come and create a team. You can invite people that you work directly with. You can invite a cross-functional team you're only on a short-term project with. It creates a team dashboard where you can see what are the differences. Is this group mostly intuitive or sensing? And what does that actually mean? Because nobody, who knows what that means? <laughs> nobody, <laughs> except for like trained experts know what that means. And so like our dashboard interprets it for you and teaches mm. you like, oh, you might have this type of tension come up, or you might have this opportunity for problem solving come up where these two people could work really well together, those types of situations. My business partner and I, we're discovering a whole bunch of things about how different we are. Like what? Well, we're co-founders and he he is like, he's got a memory like a steel trap. I have a memory like a mouse. Like I can't, I just, a yeah. goldfish. Woo, yeah, that's a better example. I couldn't even remember that it was a goldfish. <laughs> There's a sense in which I see shiny objects left and right. And I, I want to go do something with them. They all look amazing to me. I can connect them into my noetic web of belief and get them going. And I overwhelm him with my ideas, actually. But if I want so something to count on, someone who's going to be thoughtful and if I present an idea that I want an opinion on right now, he's telling me like, this is really helpful that you're telling me. And I'll tell you my opinion in two days when I have one, but I need time and space to go through a process to do that. But I say that to say like, we've had these prompts, these, these nudges, like you're saying, these drips, a cue, a prompt to remind me, oh, he's different than me. And not only is he different, he's different in particular kinds of ways. And I'm different than him. I, you're actually giving me a prompt about me. I get to learn about me. I get to learn about whoever I'm having a meeting with. And I'm, I'm kind of amazed at how little of a, a nudge it is, yet how powerful it can be to the reality of not everyone thinks and experiences life the way that I do. Totally. I mean, the number one rule of communication is know your audience and speak to your audience, not to yourself. And yet I know this, I co-founded this company and I still get value from those tips to remind myself, like I have these subconscious assumptions that I know what someone else is thinking, or I know what they need to know, or I know how to like convince them of something, or I know why they're upset, but I don't. <laughs> I'm like projecting my psychology, how my brain works onto somebody else. And again, I co-founded this company and even my co-founder, I get tips on him. We've worked day in, day out together for years. And I'm still amazed at some of the stuff that 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 I get that's just helpful. Mm -hmm. And the benefits of this isn't just so that you don't have conflict, right? It's so that you can actually see a broader spectrum of reality. Like I, yeah. 
I can only, even though I think my way is the right way, I can only see one little angle on the full reality that's out there. And that's true of all of us. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that your brain keeps coming back to your smaller reality because it can't possibly hold crunch it. all the data. Yeah. So, yeah. Some of what you're saying here is like, there's a lot being left on the table for folks that don't do this kind of work that aren't, they don't have a consciousness about themselves and others. Does this superpower the workplace when people have that kind of awareness? So actually one of the reasons why I care the most about this is not because of the workplace. Like everybody has to work. So you might as well create something that you're proud of. Totally. (laughs) Like why not? (laughs) When you can experience this type of transformation in the workplace, it then starts to transform what happens outside of the workplace. So like marriages or, you know, significant others, you start to realize like, I thought I knew what she was pissed about, but I was wrong. Or like, I knew when he asked me that question, he was saying I'm incompetent and then realized like, oh no, 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 that's not what he was saying. He just loves to ask questions. Mm. Like that's okay. That's actually a superpower we can leverage Mm. together. So just a side note, that's why I really, really care. But also, yes, this does actually, and I don't mean this to just sound really salesy. I'm just really passionate about it. It really does transform a mm. workplace. Like it really does take what could have been already a high performing team and make it even higher mm. performing. But it also helps to just replicate that. Like, how do you turn a stale team into the best team you've ever mm. worked on without being able to change your resources and without being able to change, you know, who's on the team? You can do that by getting a better understanding of what are the strengths of every individual and how do you best leverage that together. What what I love that nod you made to you know relationships way beyond the workplace is super helpful for me. I I'm someone who has spent a lot of their life being pretty obsessed with productivity, and it just like it seemed like the goal everywhere all the time was how can I be a better machine? How can I be more efficient at getting crap done? And what I'm actually hearing you nod to, which I'm, I'm <laughs> what you're describing is how do you be more human? And when you do that, yeah, you get more stuff, better stuff done and you enjoy the work and, and you also get along better with your partner and, and your, your kids don't hate you and that kind of thing. It's mutually beneficial, like to the personal life and the work life. Like, so another example is I am a super strong introvert. And I have always thought that in myself. Like I remember back to being 12, watching extroverts and learning their behavior and then just acting that way myself, like just pretending like I'm an extrovert because society has taught us like extroverts are successful. People love extroverts. Introverts are like grumpy and lonely and (laughs) whatever. Who who knows what's going on with them because they're all alone. We never see them. I've chosen to face that about myself that actually like if I say to my husband, like you're an extrovert you go hang out with friends. I'm going to stay home and I'm going to read a novel. Like, that's okay. I don't have to feel guilty for like abandoning my family or whatever. Like this is just, it's how I'm wired. And actually, if I do that, I'm going to be such a better mom tomorrow. And I'm going to be like more productive at work. So like, I think when you talk about productivity life hacks, like some of the, sometimes like we bang our heads against the brick wall of productivity, trying to fit what somebody else told us to do but we're just wired differently than that person. And for me as an introvert, I actually need to be very unproductive sometimes so that when I'm productive, I can be my best. The folks who are listening to this podcast right now, they are folks who are making things and making money from those things. They're like you. They, they, They could be solopreneurs. They could be in a company. They could be running a company, but they're really interested in in having 
whatever they've made create value. It doesn't have to be money, I guess. They could make a point or they could drive a nonprofit or, but they, they want to make something from what they've made. And uh, they're living in that tension all the time of how do they go about not only the creative act, but the promotion of that creative act and the, and the, the, the building of infrastructure around that creative act, because uh, there's such different muscle groups. And I'm wondering if you could just comment a little bit on, as you've worked with so many organizations now, and you've seen them really get into the weeds, and you've probably seen a lot of folks try to navigate this tension, and you've navigated this tension as a founder, going through like business accelerators and working for great companies like Epiphio and finding places to go, like you want to do this yourself. Talk a little bit about the relationships that people need to think about if they're going to be successful with these complex skill sets that are required for them to thrive as a, an entrepreneur, someone who's making something from what they're making. Some famous person, probably Steve Jobs originally, has said, always hire people who are smarter than you. And I think that's absolutely true. And it also holds true that you want to hire people who are strong where you are weak. Like you want to understand your strengths and weaknesses really well so that you can find people who intimidate you because they're so good at what you're Hmm. not good at. So like, for example, I just, I cannot set up processes and I use myself as an example because I'm sure other people can relate to this. I cannot set up a process. I try, I document it and then it falls apart because I didn't think about whatever. I am very intimidated by people when I'm on a call with somebody I've hired and I'm like, Hey, you know, we could do it like this. And they're like, actually a better process would be ABC. I'm like, Oh, I should have thought of that. Why didn't I, why am I not smart enough to think about that? But I, you know, I set myself back off that ledge and it's just like, thank you. Thank you for thinking of that. That's why I hired you to do this. I am a big picture thinker. I am not a detailed person, which is part of the problem with creating processes a lot of entrepreneurs are that big picture thinker. Detail-oriented people will, you know, you'll throw out an idea and a detail-oriented person will say, well, why? Well, tell me more. Why do you think that will work? And to me, I'm hearing them say, you're incompetent. I want to know this other detail. And I'm like, I haven't thought about that detail yet. (laughs) And that's actually like one of the most common places that I've seen conflict on teams, whether it's an entrepreneurial team or a team inside of Procter Mm. & Gamble is between the big picture thinkers and the detail-oriented people asking a lot of questions because it feels intimidating. It feels challenging. It feels like a lack of trust, but then the detail oriented person feels shut down by not being allowed to ask questions. They, they feel untrusted. They feel undermined. You know, it's really interesting to see how it spirals, but it's really just about being able to understand each other's superpowers and each other's strengths to be leveraged. And when you can build a foundation of understanding that, you then, you. I, I still don't like when somebody asks me a bunch of questions, but I appreciate it, if that makes sense. I don't enjoy it, but I really recognize the necessity of it and I appreciate it a lot. Yeah. Well, I'm hearing a shift there. So the shift is you're going from uh, a trigger where all of like one moment it felt like they're second guessing your competency and then something happens and you've, you've reinterpreted the data to be, oh, wait a minute, this might actually make us better. Uh, talk a little bit about the character traits that are required to make that, that shift, that dance. And we talked a little bit about it earlier around curiosity. I'm curious, like, yeah. is neutrality part, part of it? What, like, yeah. talk a little bit about how, how do you make that, that leap? I'm going to get jargony. So there's something called psychological safety. So Google did this years-long research project. They called it Project Aristotle, where they researched 
their highest performing teams and they were like, what is the factor? Is it the most educated people? Is it the people with the best experience? Is it having the best resources for this team? Like, what are the factors that create our highest performing teams? And the the most common factor was what they call psychological safety. This means it's okay to disagree with each other. It's safe to ask questions. When you make mistakes, it's still safe. You can learn from that mistake. Be curious about why that mistake was made. And so where teams where they have this psychological safety, they can outperform the best resource to the most educated, intelligent, whatever teams that you think would be like the all-star teams, psychologically safe teams can be like the David to that Goliath. That is a huge, huge thing that we're actually trying to train through our coach tips and through our email campaigns and through like everything of our product and our company, because it's hard. Like we've actually been trained through school to get a straight A only, you know, like we've been taught to be correct, not curious. And so another thing is curiosity. Instead of saying, I know this person is being a jerk, say, I wonder what this person is trying to get at right now. And one last jargony thing I'll say is a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. So this, there's been great research. Unfortunately, I don't remember her name. Um, someone- Carol Dweck. Thank you. Carol Dweck yeah. did amazing yeah. research around this. A fixed mindset is basically that person starts asking you questions and you think, I have to I have to prove that I know what I'm talking about. I can't, I can't have my like pants pulled down in front of me and shown that I don't know what I'm talking about. I have to make my point. I have to make this person stop undermining me because I am being attacked as in my identity right now. Whereas a growth mindset can say, interesting point. Perhaps this person has something to offer. Perhaps I have a new thing I could learn in this situation. Curiosity is a hard, but really important thing. Psychological safety and growth mindset versus a fixed Mm -hmm. mindset. A while back, we had Ryan Holiday on the show and Stoics practice this notion of finding a sense of neutrality and looking at the world as it is, as opposed to how they prefer it to be. They have these really some exercises to keep reminding themselves to get them into a place of potential curiosity (laughs) because they're less likely to get get hooked. Is there any kind of pre-work that people should be doing on the daily to be in that kind of state? One of the things that I try to do is not be quick to give answers. I have noticed I can just talk a lot in a meeting. So I actually try really hard to limit my airtime in a meeting and give other people more time to explain their thoughts before I jump in. A lot of times we think we know what someone else is saying before they've had sufficient time to actually explain their entire thought process. So good. We've met each other a number of times, but we've not really hung out in person as much as I would like. And but someone who has uh, is my dear friend, Josh, who's a dear friend of yours. I love Josh. Josh Gott. You are both alum of, of, of the amazing Epiphio. What, I, what I'm so struck by was how it, it was really important for Josh to say, Kirsten is and has always been a remarkable leader. It was oozing out of you wherever you went all the time, uh, even from the very early days. And that the management bit, he actually was overt to say she's really good at being a manager. like, But it was so funny because the first thing you told me, one of the first things was how much you can't stand managing. How do you cultivate mm-hmm. leadership, management, whatever it is in your own life 
practically? What are the influences? Who are you reading? What are your habits that you take on every day? How, how do you become a good leader? I think one of the hard balances to strike as a leader is the balance of instructing versus the balance of giving room for your people to wiggle in what they think it is, is important to do. Where do I need to tell somebody, no, I know the answer already. Follow my step-by-step instructions. And where is that micromanaging? And where do I need to say, I can see you going down a path I would not go down. I'm worried it's the wrong path, but I'm going to take this as like, maybe you're right. And maybe you're wrong and I'm right, but you're going to learn more from this than me telling you exactly what to do. We'll be right back after this short break. Ty, everyone I talk to wants to have a simple website, but every time I've tried to build a website, simple is like the hardest thing I can imagine. How do you actually make a project that's super complex, a product or service that's super complex, presented on the internet in such a way that the user experiences it as simple? I think the main thing that you have to consider is what that user is really trying to accomplish when they come to the site. So most brands really want to talk about themselves a lot, but they forget that the prospect or the user is there to do something very particular or accomplish something very specific. So a lot of the time it's about distilling your message down and being honest with yourself about how much you really need to say and how much the user is actually looking for from you. What if they're not really clear themselves? Like what if they don't totally know what the user wants to experience or what they're looking to get out of your brand? Because it, it does seem like it's tempting to try to be all things for all people. What you're describing is kind of deciding up front what you want the user to experience. That's right. That's right. So at Cantilever, we have a clear diagnostic process that we use in all of our projects. And that's designed so that we can do all that upfront research so that we can all come to really firm conclusions about what people are actually looking for and what's going to deliver them value. And this is an upfront kind of pre-project, but we find that it actually ultimately saves the client money long term because they know they're only investing in things that their market is actually demanding. And too often website projects just go ahead and nobody yeah, they're is, guessing. They're, they're guessing, guessing, yeah. And people are guessing. And people totally. and you know, we're really smart. We've done lots and lots of different websites, but even we can't just come out of nowhere and tell you exactly what needs to be on your website. That has to be a very deliberate and careful process of figuring that out. And when you do figure that out, what's the impact? What kind of a difference does that make for companies? What it means is that when people see your website, they identify that they are your customer, if they are your customer. And perhaps just as important, if they're not your customer, they understand that too. So if you want to have spend less time doing sales and more time doing work, a great website is a key part in accomplishing that. Friends, if you want this for your web presence online, you want folks to show up and know exactly why they're there and what they can get from you, actually just help people discern, is this the right place and are, are they your customer? Stop whatever you're doing. Head to cantilever.co. You'll be stoked. Also, one of the things that I try to do is I try to take breaks in my day to journal. Like I'm talking like maybe 15 minutes Mm. in the day where like I'll feel stuck on something and I'll just end my day 15 minutes early and I'll go journal and say like, all right, what am I, what am I feeling stuck on? 
And what is a good solution on that? Like I just did this for, we're having an offsite soon. And I was like, what's my agenda? What are the things that our team is like, not, not jiving really well. in? what are the things our team really is, you know? And so for me, that's helpful instead of just constantly trying to like type it all out, take a moment to not feel the pressure and to be able to just let, let what's kind of stuck within me come out. Would you think that that, is that a good recipe for folks that are more extroverted? I mean, I don't think it's always necessarily directly correlated with introversion or extroversion, but Mm -hmm. people who think better out loud, I think better alone, um, which is usually a characteristic of an introvert, but not always. But people, there are other folks who externally process and therefore like a mentor or um, some sort of a like coworker where where it's safe to process some of that stuff. That that might be a better situation for them Mm. to just talk about it out loud. So helpful. And then even going back to what you said a second ago about leading and managing and whatnot, like one thing that I heard in what you were saying is, is that you seem to really value trusting the individual in front of you. It, it, it sounded like embedded in your, your strategy was to assume that the person in front of you, to assume goodwill, to assume that they're skilled and, or at least wanting to become skilled, that they could be competent yeah. enough to solve a problem, that it's not all on you as a founder to figure it out for them. Talk a little bit about your journey and understanding that. I mean, Darren, my co-founder is a really great person to watch in this. I've learned a lot just from watching how we could have been in a meeting with a potential partner and I'm sitting there like, no way, Jose, but Darren honors the person. Hmm. And one of our- When you say, well, look back up, back up, no way, Jose, what, what does that mean? Uh, tease that out. I mean, it. it could be like, there's no way our two companies make any sense together. Or uh. like this person is like, you know, kind of going out of woo way out <laughs> of range of like what is at all possible in reality, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it could, so it could have been any number of things and I'm quick to be like, Hey, this is a waste of my time. How do I get out of this meeting? Mm. <laughs> Every single person has value. That's core to Cloverleaf that the product that we've started is that everyone has value. And we often don't see that for ourselves or for the people around us, like what is really truly their value. And I think that, you know, if you don't have control over the people that are given to you on your team, they all still have value. Mm. Maybe you could struggle with like, they're not motivated, or maybe you could struggle with that. You're giving them the wrong kind of work that they'd actually be better at something else. Or, you know, there's all kinds of things, but all of those can be overcome. You know, one of the things we always hire for is curiosity that's just core. You have to be curious. And we're always looking in interviews. Are you hungry? And are you ambitious? Mm -hmm. Because if you're just a good performer, you're going to not like being on our team. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So hiring has a whole lot to do with that. But yeah, if you don't trust the people in front of you, you're going to be really exhausted and they're not going to feel, they're not going to thrive either. Mm I'm curious, you came out of the uh, the Ocean Accelerator out of Cincinnati, and uh, you and I have a, a common friend in Luke Dooley, who I have, I have such esteem for, and that whole program. I had a chance to speak at Demo Day a while back, and talk a little bit about that process of uh, going through an accelerated program at, at all, and how that helped form you as a leader with your partner, and, and especially like before and after, like before going in. And then after experiencing it and now being in the real world, doing your thing, building a successful company, what have been some of the the benefits of, of taking space to incubate? Ocean Accelerator taught us about raising institutional capital. 
which I went into ocean thinking, no way do I want greedy investors telling me what to do. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. And I came out of ocean realizing, oh my gosh, I absolutely want intelligent, experienced investors building into the company I am creating and advocating for me and connecting me across the world to the right people. So they connected us with investors. They taught us like the structural things that we need to think about and have in place to have a productive conversation with investors. And that was pivotal. I mean, we've now raised three rounds of funding. We have phenomenal investors all across the country, and they've been really crucial to the business that we're building. We chose good ones and good ones chose us, I should say. Even that, like the way you're relating with it doesn't sound like what I hear talking about when, when people go on, like they, they go to Silicon Valley and they're trying to raise money around tech startups and whatever. It's it That sounds to me more like they're not even relating with it. Like it's sometimes it's advisors, but it's mostly around like a payday. Like, oh my gosh, we just got a big, you know, round A or something or seed round or whatever the round was. And you don't sound like you're relating with investors that way at all. It sounds to like it's more strategic. There's more available for you to go do because you have these particular investors involved. Am I, am yeah. I hearing you right? Talk more about that. Yeah. In the perfect world, you can choose those investors that are strategic and helpful to you. I mean, there's always the situation that's possible where you just need the money that can come to you so that you can build your business. Ideally, you're able to have the time and the runway in your business where you can go out and start meeting people enough to where you can say no to an investor and just and no hard feelings. But like some investors might want a different outcome for our business than we want, or some investors might whatever other situation. But for us, we've been really lucky. Um, Mucker Capital is one of our investors and Darren has a call with one of their folks one twice a month, once every other week, where they're going over our CRM and our, you know, our our um, pipeline and what's happening in our sales and what has this investor who has these calls with all the other entrepreneurs he's invested in and can say, hey Darren, this other company tried this thing. I'll just make a connection for you guys to talk about it. Or you could try this tool or you could, you know, whatever. He's he's full of real experience, not just theory, right? Mm-hmm. And we have other investors who are who are like that too. So we we have thankfully been able to choose really good ones. Mm-hmm. And that came from the experience at Ocean. You were closed off and you opened yeah. up and now you have access to these resources. So great. Uh, anything else from Ocean you want to make sure to say? I'd also say to anybody who's thinking about doing an accelerator, it's kind of a really hard experience because you're going to, the point of an accelerator is to just give you a crap ton of advice and it's everybody's opinion. And some people have the right experience and some people don't, and it's really hard, but that's actually an important skill set to hone is like, who do you listen to Mm. and where do you lean into your intuition? How, How do you start to make those hard decisions about what, what is coaching that you need and what is just somebody else's different perspective that's not actually helpful. Who are the influencers that you've curated now? Like who are you paying attention to? Who are the folks that are in your ear to help influence your thinking as you're leading? Well, my co-founder is a really helpful one. We meet once a week, just an hour, the two of us to just talk through whatever. And in a lot of those situations, we're helping each other figure out like, how do we lead in this new stage? Like we, for example, we just closed our series A awesome, super exciting. Congratulations. Finally, we get to invest in a lot of things. Oh, and we need to change how we're leading our company. And Mm. so like, 
we need each other's therapy through that change, right? What's it, what's an any are you at liberty to say like an example of a leadership shift? Yeah, okay, so a big one for both of us is where do we get out of the way? Like there's so many things that have depended on us to get done. And so where do we choose to spend the money instead of our time? And where do we let go and hire somebody new or just like with our existing people, allow them to like invest in whatever tool is going to help them. And we stop telling them what to do. And we, you know, really step away, stop being totally up to date on emails and start thinking bigger strategy of like the next big thing on our product roadmap or whatever. We hear a lot of conversations from, you know, super smart people who say, they say no a lot. You know, you mentioned Steve Jobs earlier. He says he's more proud of the things he said no to than the things he said yes to. What are the things that you find yourself saying no to more often now? And I, a little twist on the question, do you wish that you were saying no to those things earlier, back when you were oh. pre-series one? Gosh, that's a good question. I mean, a really clear example that I can think of is the other day, somebody who's taking over a lot of product stuff for me asked me three really detailed questions. Like, hey, where do you want this to show up? What do you want it to say? Whatever. And I was like, you got this, Adam. I trust you. You can make the call. And then later he was like, hey, you didn't help me with that. And I was like, I know I could have told you my opinion, but you can make the call. And that's hard for me because I do actually care about (laughs) what he asked me about but I want to train him to do it. And mm. I also, I feel guilty. I tr- truly, I feel guilty when I do those things. Cause I feel like I'm like not helping, not being a servant leader, but a servant leader actually doesn't do everything for you. A servant mm. leader gives you opportunities to grow. Mm. One of the clear things that Darren and I are doing, that's different than advice. We got in ocean and advice you'll read in books. Like I just read it this morning in this book inspired. This is a great book about product, by the way. Mm. And I read, you know, it's like focus on one one target audience at a time. We are not doing that. We have three target audiences and we focus on all of them at the same time. That's one that I wonder in the future, are we going to look back on and regret having Hmm. said, like not said no to two of them and just focusing on one. But so far, it's actually working really well for our business to Hmm. ignore that advice. Well, okay. So last topic, because I want to be sensitive to your time, but also this is gold. Like I, I, I know my listeners are at home going, thank you. Thank you. Holy crap. Thank you. I need to go to Cloverleaf. Thank you. But my question now is really around culture. And I feel like so many of the things that you pointed to are about culture. How do you build a good culture? How do you help people? How do you help good people give their best? How do you have good people stick around longer to stay inspired? One of the things that tell me your dreams, we care a lot about culture and we have a bias that foosball tables and free lunches are, are awesome pre-pandemic, but it's not why people stick around for very long. They, they stick around for other reasons. And since you are both helping companies with their cultures, talk a little bit about how you cultivate culture internally at Cloverleaf and also how Cloverleaf can actually help other people with their culture building exercises. Great question. We actually in January, had our first ever team building session, which is a shocker because that's our company, right? Mm-hmm. But it was it, it was so, so good. And I actually think that is helpful for building culture, but that's not really what culture is. I actually believe what people stick around for are two key things. One, it's the people, it's the relationships. If you love working with the people you work with, that is life-changing. And the second thing is being able to do work that you're proud of. Like 
really productive work. I mean, you know, everyone complains about meetings. There's nothing wrong with meetings. There's something wrong with meetings that are unproductive. And because people want to be productive, they want to create something worthwhile that they can put their name on. So the the things that we do in our company, one, you know, we try to create opportunities. We have one-on-ones with our people every week. We also do quarterly uh, career conversations where we can say like, where do you want to go? What are you excited about? What's hard for you? What do you want to take off your plate? Like, we probably can't do anything about this now, but someday, hopefully we can. So for example, one of our folks, you know, after he was with us for, I don't know, six, nine months, he came to us and said, I actually don't want to be in customer success. I want to move over into product. And we were like, great. We don't have the resources to have a product person. And it took us 18 months, but then we like grew our company to the point where we could totally change his job. And he's now... In pro- he's the person I said no to with the three questions. Mm-hmm. The way he explained it, he was like, I am experiencing being unleashed to do my best work mm. because we listened to what does he really want to do? What, what gets him curious and interested and excited? It wasn't the job he got hired for. It was a different one. Mm. And so we created that opportunity. By the way, to be unleashed to do your best work, that's the mission of our company. We exist to unleash people to do their best work. So to have an employee say they're experiencing that was so rewarding. What are the rhythms that as a leader you can put in place to figure out what is the work your people really want to do? Regardless of the resources you have, you can create those opportunities. And you can put rhythms in place around that, such as, you know, career check-ins. Um, we also do quarterly offsites where we just get real nitty gritty about the business and we do something fun, but it's because fun is really good. Fun is great, but fun is not what creates culture. The fun actually allows our brains to relax and get more creative about the work, which is what really people want to be able to do. Another really quick shout out I'll give here is there's a book called Sprint. Yeah. Is it the Google, the Google Sprint one? Uh, yeah, yeah, from Google Ventures. Yeah, yeah. I got it right yeah. here. It's by Jake Knapp. Yeah. It's called Sprint. Yeah, I love it. It is phenomenal. We did a sprint. It's a week-long thing, and it was good. But what was really awesome is the tricks, the little tools that he has in there around, like, having really productive meetings. Like, do dot voting. Have have a time when nobody is talking and everyone is just sketching really quickly back and forth, you know? Stuff like that has has actually transformed our entire company mm. because that's building the culture of we don't waste each other's times. We have super productive meetings. We listen to each other by giving everyone a space to be able to share what they are, what they are seeing as an opportunity. Mm. So long-winded way of saying the way that you can create culture is by creating opportunities for your people to do their best work, whether that's how they're wired, what they're interested in, like skills development-wise, what they're interested in career path-wise, or just ways that you set parameters to have productive meetings, productive offsites, accountability that that is challenging and inspiring. That's how you build culture. Aren't you ever scared that they're going to go, I want to go somewhere else. That's what I want. I think I'm going to unleash my best work someplace else. We've never had that happen. So maybe that's to say we're doing such a good job that they want to do it here. Yeah. But also, I think if that did happen, we would be proud. Like if somebody realize there's a better opportunity for them and they want to go tackle something big and ambitious, we would write recommendations. We would support, we would want to see them go on to bigger and better things. Well, it's a, it's a nod to why you are doing so well with what you're doing, not only as a a remarkable co-founder, 
but I'm, I'm, I'm a dad of three daughters. Uh, you're a, a female co-founder who is super generous and you are leading in a way that, man, does our world need more people like you. So thank you so much for being here. And, and for folks who want to check out Cloverleaf, is cloverleaf.me? I know they can go there. Is there, yep. is there anything, any particular articles or things you want to point them to, or just can they find everything at cloverleaf.me? You can find everything at cloverleaf.me. There's all kinds of videos, resources, product guides, things that we have out there. You can also just create a free account. You can sign up for free. You can take a couple of assessments. You can create a free team, invite other people in so you can start to see more of how do you partner with the people around you. And I also want to say one more thing, Dane. Thank you for calling out. I am a woman. (laughs) I really wish more women realized that entrepreneurship is an option. And it's hard. It's so hard. You know, finding investors, dealing with all the challenges, not having a boss actually is kind of hard sometimes because it's nobody else's fault and nobody else is there to guide you. But it is so satisfying. And it is, I believe if more women took the leap to become entrepreneurs, we would see better products. We would see better leadership. We would see better job opportunities for employment. And so thanks for calling that out. And I would just say to the listeners, if you know a woman who you think has great ideas, just share this podcast with her so she can start to see like, there are examples. It's not about me. It's about there really are more and more women who are realizing that this is an opportunity and I want it to become normalized. It is normal for a woman to have an idea. You know what? We just closed our series A, like I said, got all this legal documentation. And there was something that was talking specifically about my role. And it said he and him. And I was like, lawyers, how did you not catch that? (laughs) Like it is in, like, it is just the template for legal documents is about men leading businesses. And so like, we just need to change that. So if you know a woman, share this with her so she can start to realize like it's available to her. It's available to her sisters or her friends. Uh, I am so grateful that, uh, Golden. And and really, what a treat to get to know you a little bit better. And I know we covered a lot of ground in a lot of different directions, but um, I am hopeful that it could be a positive impact on you and, and, and certainly has been on me. So thank you so much, my friend. It's totally my pleasure. I'm honored you asked me. And let me know when it's live. I'll share it around. I will. I will. And next time I'm in Cincinnati, let's hang out. I would love that. Let's get through this pandemic and you can travel. Again. I look forward to it. Okay. Thanks, friend. Bye-bye. <laughs> See you, Dane. This was episode four, season six of the Business of Creativity podcast. Converge is made possible thanks to cantilever.co and tellmeyourdreams.com. For all our past evergreen episodes with guests like Seth Godin, James Clear, Ann Handley, Ryan Holiday, Jazz Ampafar, Donald Miller, Mike Michalowicz, Sarah Green Carmichael, Brad Montague, Kevin Kelly, Todd Henry, Scott Stratton, Chase Reeves, Gretchen Rubin, Chris Gillibo, Starley Kine, and more, go to convergepodcast.com. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. See you next time. An Ironic Media Production. Visit us at ironicmedia.com.